Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Sunny is the co-founder and president at Unocoin, India's trusted Bitcoin crypto trading platform. In this open and honest conversation, he shares how living in Canada, but having Indian roots, has shaped his personality. We also discuss the role money plays in our economic and psychological worlds and how he sees Bitcoin as the future. Sunny also shared the difficult challenge they faced in 2018 and how they challenged and won against the Indian government in the Supreme Court of India. Hi, Hi Sunny. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hi, Sumit. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And for our listeners, right, can you start by sharing a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Okay, I'm Sunny Ray. I'm the co-founder and president of Unocoin, which is uh, one of India's first Bitcoin and crypto trading platforms. We started in December 2013. And uh, yeah, we serve a couple million customers. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share a bit uh, of your backstory, like where you started, sure. what happened, how, what led you to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I'm, I was born and raised in Canada, but uh, my parents are from Kolkata, from India. So as a child, I did Kolkata quite often, and uh, maybe once a year for a couple, maybe a month or two or whatever it was. I also spent a couple of years living there when I was a kid. And then, yeah, I studied electrical engineering when I grew up in Canada. And then upon doing so, I spent a few years, I mean, I worked as an engineer, um, but I've always had a very deep curiosity in money. And I just always was confused by it mostly than anything else and felt like it was important enough to, you know, warrant some curiosity, but then was confused and nobody really knew much about it. Like when you'd ask people, your parents, your family, teachers, and people would just be a little bit, oh, money is life, or oh, money is not something we talk about at dinner, or money is, I don't know, it's like, 
So I thought to myself, like after I graduated uh, and got my first job, there was, I used to always say there was always more month than money. After you pay your bills, your rent, your car, there was always a couple of days that I remember you just wish wasn't there. And so that feeling led me to eventually become like a financial advisor. So I got all my licenses and everything. Um, I spent a few years in that. Um, oddly enough, confused me even more <laughs> about money, even though I had all these licenses and was helping people. And really, as an engineer, I felt like I had the tools to ask deeper questions, like more like based in logic and reason. And yet a lot of the stuff didn't seem like it added up. Um, so I left that space. I spent 10 years in robotics. I was working for a company called Quanzer, where I helped outfit many of the major robotics uh, university labs around the world. And then that job uh, eventually took me out to India in 2011, 2010, 2011, around then I was living in India. And I'd moved out there, was living in Bangalore, and around that time discovered that the Bitcoin white paper. Um, and I always say, I think it was a combination of obviously my curiosity and money coupled with my engineering degree that gave me the ability to kind of read the white paper, not be scared by it, and start tinkering and playing and learning on online and really just became super, super obsessed with Bitcoin, uh, spent almost maybe, I think a lot of people have this where they spent six months in in hibernation when they first hear about the technology. I did similar things. And then when I started waking up from that slumber, I was like, okay, well, like I need to, you know, if I want to put any of this to work, I need to be around people. And I knew in India, everyone loved cricket and in Canada, everybody's all about football. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be with people that talk about sports or anything else. I just want to be surrounded by people that are obsessed with Bitcoin. And so I started India's first uh, Bitcoin meetups. They were just meetups at coffee shops. And eventually we did them at the Leela Palace. And eventually they grew to even larger ones. And so, yeah, through the, through a sequence of doing meetups, I ended up meeting Satvik and Harish and Abhi at my meetups. And yeah, the four of us have been together since. So I think in 2013, we launched Unocoin. Prior to that, we had tried many other things. And yeah, but Unocoin was the one that kind of resonated and stuck. And so the four of us have been working together since. I've had a few, you could say, detours along the way. And maybe we can touch on that uh, later down the interview. But uh, but that's my a little bit about my backstory before Unocoin. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, right? Now let's start from the beginning, right? Kolkata and Toronto, right? How does these two cities play a role in influencing you, shaping your views? Can you mm -hmm. share a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I was I spent the first 20 years of my life in actually a place called Edmonton, Alberta, which is on the west side of Canada. And then the last 23 years or so in um, in Toronto, minus about five or six when I'd spent in India. And right now I go back and forth between Toronto and India. I spend about half my time in other place. But that's a good question. I mean, I always really appreciated that. Like the, like just growing up in Canada, for example, there's a lot of things that I think kids take for granted. It's like you just expect that food will show up on your table and go get the new video game that comes out. And you have all these like kind of things that I think every kid would probably want. But then when you go to a place like Kolkata once a year and you see you know, how tough life is. I mean, I don't think I've ever been anywhere tougher than Kolkata. And so that really helps shape your view because you start to realize that, oh, wait, the whole world is not like this beautiful sidewalks and flowers and um, that there's, there's a lot of struggle out there. And so I think, yeah, I think it was tough, both like a bit shocking, you know, to as soon as you get out of the airport in Kolkata, you're surrounded by like 50 children that are your age that are asking you for money. And it's like, 
what like kids don't have money like or food like how does that work so that was i think really sad and but it also very eye opening and that i think planted the seed in me to say okay and i also used to notice that um you know that there's differences right like a lot of the technology a lot of the companies the fast food joints they all start here and then they kind of find their way to india a few years later and so when you see that pattern over and over again it sticks with you and so so yeah so growing up i'd always had a desire to do something in india but i didn't really know what it was going to be or how i was going to do it mm-hmm. um, so yeah. it was only when i was much older that i discovered bitcoin and did the opportunity seem perfect yeah so i think i bring the global feeling to uno coin so even though uno coin is a indian company like all of our 70 80 employees are all based in bangalore my three other co-founders are all all from india um all of our customers are in india um but we like to believe that uno coin is a, a like a world class company whether it's the grammar that we present whether it's the ui ux whether it's our security and the way we kind of achieve that is by recognizing that india has a lot of strengths um namely in computer programming and software and all of that and even customer support there's a lot of great things but then there are certain areas that maybe india's not the best at right so you know, if you're going to get a security maybe audit done or something on your code maybe you go to israel and find a, mm. a firm there or maybe if you're doing ux ui maybe there's a company in europe or elsewhere and if you're looking for yeah. investors many people know our investors are like tim draper and barry silbert they're in new york and in san francisco and so mm. our goal has always been like i said to build like a world class company do as much of it as we can in india and then wherever we felt that um that we could complement the business by looking elsewhere we could you know learn yeah. and i feel yeah. like that part of the culture or the ethos is something that that i try and bring to the table thank you thank you for adding that you spoke about being confused about money right so is there a thread there also right from your early childhood can you share where that confusion is coming from and then as you said right you applied the engineering mindset to money right so what how do you define money now what's what role does money play for you now but also like where does the confusion itself comes from yeah well i mean again it was this concept that when i would ask, like if you ask somebody what's 1 plus 1 they tell you it's 2 and everybody says it's 2 right but when you ask somebody oh can you explain what money is or what's the history of money or why do we even have money you know um like i said nobody not and even when i was in finance and talking to ceos of banks or talking to people who do this all the time i mean nobody could answer it it was always like people would just look at you like seriously like why are you asking that question and be like yeah i'm asking it now answer it nobody knows the answer so i found that alarming um and yeah and so i think i did take a bit of an engineering approach to try and understand it one person that kind of helped me was a guy named ron dr ron paul in uh in the United States he's somebody who'd ran for president several times he's a doctor and also i would say in uh like a, a teacher you could say almost right he's been the kind of the austrian economics proponent the guy who's been pushing gold as a standard and the importance of limited um like having a form of money that's not just printable out of thin air and so to Ron Paul and reading a lot of his work has given me some so it gave me some insight but then ultimately most of these answers like if i just pulled up right now wikipedia and even went to the money page it would give you the answers just some people don't even respond um but what is it uh i mean there's like there's a bunch of ways to kind of explain it or more than what is it i think the interesting thing is like how did it even come to be like why does it even exist was something that i'd always been confused about and i think i have a 
an explanation. This I'm borrowing from Zappos CEO, Wences, but uh, in essence, he talks about like if you rewind back in time when let's say we were cavemen, there was no money. Um, and let's say I'm in the middle of a forest, right? And I bring down some caribou or whatever for to feed my family or my village. And then I see you as well walking down the same jungle. And, you know, you're maybe without the caribou. You haven't been so successful and you're starving and you need food. And you come to me and you say, hey, can I have some of the caribou? I might ask you for something in return for it. And if it just so happens that your family specializes in rice and you just happen to have some rice in your pocket and I need the rice, then we make an exchange. But then what are the odds that would happen that you would happen to have exactly the same thing that I need and then I happen to have the exact same thing you need? And so that seems a bit uh, a bit difficult. And so, so, so something like money emerged really as just a way of... Um, and in the early days, it was just a mental, it was just like a mental note, meaning, let's say you don't even have the rice. And I go, fine, this guy looks like a nice guy here. So I'm going to have, have a pound of caribou for your family. Now you might say, you might take that. And in my mind, I would just record that, okay, I've gave this guy a pound. And then maybe a six month later, I see you and you give it back. But that again, doesn't quite work out. And so so in the early days, people used to use things like salt and rocks and weird and funny things. But I would argue that the first real form of money was gold, right? And the thing I like about, well, the reason I bring up gold is because a lot of people have this misconception that money is something that the government, you know, decree. Like, oh, what are you talking about money, gold? But when you bring up gold and you go, well, for thousands, tens of thousands, of years, gold was the form of money. And it wasn't that anybody... Uh, instructed the world and said, you must use gold. And in fact, it was the opposite. Gold emerged as a form of money and it emerged because it had certain properties. And again, if we went to Wikipedia and looked up, well, what are the properties of money? You would find things like fungibility. So, right. So fungibility means I have an ounce of gold, you have an ounce of gold, we can trade it. Or I have a dollar, you have a dollar, we can trade it and it's the same amount or it's the same value. Um, you have divisibility, right? So any form of money, ideally, you'd need to be able to devise it. So with gold, mm -hmm. even, I can take a little sliver of gold and I can go and maybe do my grocery shopping for the month. Um, I can also take a bigger chunk of gold and maybe buy a house. And so the divisibility is an element. Portability is another thing, right? You need to be able to carry it. So when you look, when you go through this list, limited is another one, right? So being scarce, uh, is an important quality of money, right? And then what happened, and I'm just kind of going through like, Lots and lots of history in like just a few sentences, right? But essentially what happened is at one point, gold itself became too cumbersome and too difficult to carry around. And it's dangerous too, right? What if someone jumps you or something? So people started issuing essentially like little pieces of paper. So you would come to me, I would hold your gold and I would say, hey, you, I'm going to hold this gold for you. And this piece of paper, eventually you could just trade it with other people. And that kind of created the impetus for our fiat-based system. And then in the United States, they started saying, okay, we're going to back, I mean, really all around the world, they would back their money by gold, right? And then in, I think it was when it was in the 60s or something, Richard Nixon came and essentially said, look, gold is no longer the reserve currency of the world. The US dollar is now the reserve currency in the world. And so that was a big shift. And essentially, they said, we're not going to, you know, we, we, we don't even need to have a one to one ratio with the gold and the dollars. We're just going to declare whatever we want. And we can because we're so powerful. We're so mighty. Yeah. We have all the guns. Uh, what are you going to say about it? 
I think that makes sense to some extent, but I think a lot of people, especially young people, as they start to learn about monetary policy and what money is and the history of it, they start to ask themselves, like, is that the most optimal solution where one country can just print endlessly, like literally, I think what in the last year or two, 40% of all of the dollars ever printed came into existence. And that seems problematic, right? Like uh, if a group of people can print as much as they want of one thing, and here you are and I am working hard to try and earn that one thing, yet these people can print it infinitely and give it to all their buddies and the banks and whoever, just seems a bit unfair. And so yeah. so Bitcoin, Bitcoin, really what it did, just to kind of sum up, is in my view, it took the lessons from gold, like the hard money, the, the fungibility, scarcity, the, took all of that, but then also recognized that gold had flaws and that the new modern digital computers and all that, what they give us is actually something very much uh, needed. And so how do you kind of build something for the world that we live in today, right? Coin is, I mean, my best, my favorite description is to call it digital gold. Um, because like I said, if you can understand and appreciate why gold has value, why it's had value for tens of thousands of years, you can start to equate and start to draw connections and say, oh, okay, well, maybe that's why yeah. people are interested in Bitcoin. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Right. And I do have a background as an engineer as well. So I have gone through the same process and I do understand like the economic definition of money and what role does it play. But uh, money also has a huge psychological role to play because when you say, right, you everybody has a different definition of money and then people equate money with power, with status, with hierarchy. And I work with a lot of founders, both from the profit and non-profit world. And I see this tremendous amount of anxiety, which money produces in people, either because you don't have it or you're talking to somebody who has more than you. Uh, so I'm quite wondering, because this is also quite related to entrepreneurship, because entrepreneurship is basically being responsible for your own financial success, but also putting a risk around uh, finances or money. And a lot of people would take any risk, but wouldn't take a risk on money. Can you share a bit about that for you? How have you held money psychologically? And when you started, like when you jumped into entrepreneurship, did that play a role or was it a natural extension of uh, what you were doing and then just another idea and let's do this. Yeah, I mean, the psych, when I think of, I mean, I, the uh, thing that kind of reminded me is when you were describing that, right, is that I had asthma, right, or I still have asthma, you could say, right, which is, you know, I think you saw before we started this call, I took my puffer um, and that was under control now. But like when I was a kid, it obviously wasn't and it was very challenging, right? And like, you imagine like not being able to breathe. It's like mm -hmm. horrible. But like oxygen is kind of like money, right? It's like when you have it in abundance, you don't think about it. It's fine. Like I said, when I was a kid, my parents took care of everything. So I never even had the, like the desire to even question it. It was only when I became an adult that I started to ask myself like, oh my God, this reminds me of asthma where it's like, yeah, it's this invisible kind of thing that's there that nobody talks about. But when you have it, you're fine. But when you don't, it's like the world is ending. And like, uh, I mean, obviously that leads to other things like, oh, just psychologically not feeling well and all that. And then we're never taught how to budget, how to like live in your means and how to properly invest and all these things. And so, so yeah, I think it does take a psychological toll on you, mainly because, you know, money also equates to just like survival, right? Like if you don't have money, you can't buy food, you can't feed your kids and uh, so, so I do think it's a very important thing. But when I, as I started learning more about money, I also felt like, 
you know, it was essentially, how do I describe this? Like the way the monetary system is today, I felt like it was fundamentally flawed, right? Partially because of what I just told you before, which is that anybody could print it and give it to their friends, right? Um, And that inflation concept is something that really struck me as being what's the word like evil almost because it was like this way of stealing money from everybody especially the poor in a way that they won't even recognize it because they just inflation takes a bit of time and it's like obfuscated and then they just what do they do now they're blaming the oil the you know the gas station guy oh he's erasing the price of gas but they don't realize that the reason price of gas and price of everything is going up is because there's just more money in circulation right it's such a hard thing to put you and especially if you've never been taught and nobody around you knows it is it's like the ultimate kind of psychological fear factor right yeah um yeah yeah and so so and freedom i would say is something that i also think a lot about like what does it mean to be free right not just have free time but the freedom to be able to express yourself and to talk the way you want to, instead of being afraid, right? So I'll give you another attack vector. We talked about inflation, but, you know, money also, let's just say you don't say what uh, what the CEO of the bank wants you to say. Okay, now they can shut your bank down. And we've seen examples of that. I mean, whether you agree with people like Kanye West or not, a billionaire, boom, bank account gone, right? Speaks against the wrong people. So if that can happen to people like that, it can obviously happen to people like us. And that was a bit alarming. What? What do you mean? Someone can just, like, let's say I, for example, just look like a bad guy, okay? And they just accidentally think I'm that bad guy. And then I have a million, oh, they just take it away and it's gone. So it's like, so not only once you have the money, it's getting slowly depleted in terms of its value, but you don't even have the money in the first place. It's an illusion. It's a Maya because people can literally take it away at the click of a button if they chose to, Right. Um, no, and it just goes like as you peel that onion back, you start to realize that it's just one big like psychological like warfare that people have waged upon, I think, the average man. And it's like a way of keeping us, you know, almost like captive, like as slaves without the jail cells and whatnot. Yeah. Right. It's it's like it's a very, very kind of scary thing. And I'm not going to lie. Like when, and as I learned more and more about money and I became an advisor, this, that I just, I became very disillusioned and I didn't even want to have kids or have a family. I was just like, this world is a very ugly, Mm -hmm. tough place. It was only once I discovered Bitcoin, did I just feel so inspired because I felt um, even though it looks like a very dark world here, there's this like rose growing in this concrete world. And maybe, just maybe, this could hold the seed, you know, to the like truth of what money actually is. And it was just a hunch. I didn't know with certainty, but it was a hunch. But it was a strong enough hunch because, you know, like I said, I'm an electrical engineer. So I remember sitting in my class and my one of my best friends tapped me on the shoulder saying, Sonny, check out this Palm Pilot. And then Blackberries and iPhones and all that stuff. I remember internet when it was like a whatever thing. I remember computers too, when there was just like, you'd play some games and it was mm. like a fringe thing, right? So yeah. I've seen and grown up through all these like kind of revolutions, I guess you could say. And so when Bitcoin came around, I was like, oh, so this is the revolution of all revolutions. This is what it's all been leading mm. up towards. And if computers can lead to a form of money that truly sets us free, where 
when you hold Bitcoin, for example, and you take it off an exchange and hold it in your ledger or treasure wallet, you actually own that Bitcoin. And when you own that Bitcoin, yes, the price can go down because the demand came down, et cetera, et cetera. But that money was also, um, it's uh, it's like the denominator, the number of units of yeah. Bitcoin cannot be debased. And anyways, I can keep going on and on forever, but yeah, I, I do yeah. believe that that did play a part in it. But it was like, uh, it was the fact that Bitcoin was mm. the opposite of all the darkness I saw that gave me a tremendous amount of hope. And to, I guess your second question was around like, well, how, I mean, I was working at the time, so I had a job. And I was making good money. And so I would, I when we discovered Bitcoin and it started being Satvik, Abhi and Harish, we said, guys, let's just, let's just learn. Like, like we're not going to hit a home run off the bat, but let's just try lots of different things. And that's going to cost money. That's going to cost time. That's going to cost reputation, but it's okay. As long as we learn, we're good. And so we started doing Bitcoin mining. And I mean, to be frank, we lost a lot of money. Um, our own money, right? Bitcoins, hard-earned Bitcoins that we lost in the process of trying to learn about mining and actually deploying a mining. We had a pretty big operation in India. But uh, but we said, okay, you know, after six months, this didn't work out. Let's try something different. We tried. And so eventually we landed on UnoCoin and it took mm. off. But no, we didn't. I don't think it like held us back psychologically. For us, it was we were excited. And we didn't also bet the farm on any one opportunity. Mm -hmm. We just made little bets to try and, again, optimize learning. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for adding that, right? And now if I zoom out a little bit towards the future, right? So what's next for you? What do you see or what do you want to create in the future? Uh, and this could be something personal which you want to achieve, something with your company or even the future of money that you envision. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Okay, so in general, so like we, like at UnoCoin at least, for some reason, culturally, we've stayed away from... Talking about like uh, like actual future like product releases and stuff. We only talk about that stuff once it's kind of once it's done. It's uh, and we've beta tested it and it's out and it's ready. Mainly, I mean, for competitive reasons, but for also we don't like to be known as the people that just say things and then don't do it. You know what I mean? Like we'd rather be the person who yeah. just does things. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, we don't talk a lot about the future. But I mean, if you're talking about more just like. Generally speaking, we're obviously very focused on the India market and we continue, we plan to continue staying in India. Our products, obviously, we're going to be expanding our products and services. If you look in the industry today, there's a lot of things that we don't have still. Um, and it's not that we can't build them, but we're, we take a very cautious approach towards UnoCoin as well because, because there's a lot of question marks in this industry and, it only takes a minute to like mess it up, right? And for us, we've been building our trust with our customers for almost 10 years now. And so to lose that trust just doesn't take long. So yeah, so we do have a bunch of exciting products and services. Um, eventually, like if you think 50 years out, like we have aspirations to, you know, do things like Elon Musk, right? Eventually, like what if we could start building spaceships to Mars and build like build crazy things, right? But that's more like very far out. Right now, we aim to be the best for the start Bitcoin exchange that we can be. But Bitcoin has a lot of interesting characteristics about it that, for example, on UnoCoin's platform, you can buy and sell Bitcoin, but you can also hold Bitcoin. You can spend, you can send it, you can receive it, you can spend it, you can use it, you can uh, earn from it. You can do, you can pay your, your cell phone bill. You can do this, you can do that. You can buy Amazon gift cards. So our goal is really to, to let people know that once they get into Bitcoin, that they can, that they have mm -hmm. flexibility and they have options. And they, if they need to, like I said, buy something from Amazon, they can go and yeah. acquire a gift card. 
So, so we have a lot of, I mean, our main goal is to just make Bitcoin useful and to bring Bitcoin to billions of people. Yeah. And if I take the short term horizon, let's say three to five yeah. years, what are some mm-hmm. of the biggest challenges that you see for yourself going forward? I mean, there's always uh, different challenges. Do you know about the challenge that we faced in 2018? No, I mean, since you're talking about challenges, I'll just bring yeah. that up. So we had a very big challenge in 2018, I believe it was, when the RBI, the Reserve Bank of India, said that uh, they essentially didn't want any of the banks to provide services to crypto companies like Unocoin. And so they followed through with that. They actually made it so that we didn't have uh, banking. And it was a very difficult time in our business. And so... We felt that the RBI was wrong in doing what they did. And so we challenged them in the Supreme Court. And uh, and by we, it was not just Unocoin, but it was the industry. But we played, Unocoin played a very integral part in that court case. Uh, my co-founder, Harish, was actually in the court almost every day. He was, it was him. So just to kind of TLDR the whole, you know, kind of uh, story, after the two years, the three judges essentially said, okay, you guys are fighting this on a like a human rights kind of perspective, but yet you guys are this conglomerate of companies. We have companies of companies, but then like that's not a human, right? So show us a human that was actually his rights were infringed upon and how it negatively impacted him. And they chose Harish and they put him on the stand and they not only uh, um, put our business as well under the microscope, but also Harish's life. And they came to the conclusion that what happened was was wrong. And that it was a right of the Indian, you know, citizen to to use our products and services. So when we won that court case, the day after, we uh, we were back and active. And you would think, and I'm talking about challenges that we've already faced. I know your challenges were more like future. It's hard to yeah. predict what we'll face in the future. But if you look at the past, I mean, it's hard to imagine bigger challenges than a tiny Bitcoin startup taking on the people who print the money in the most populous country in the world, right? Like, it's like, in my view, that was like a David versus Goliath type of situation where we definitely should not have won, but we did. And so that was very encouraging. When we came out of that, I won't name our competitors. A couple of our competitors raised, you could say, almost infinite amounts of money, 600, 700 million dollars, maybe collectively. Some of them were acquired by Binance. I mean, Elon Musk is going to CZ to buy Twitter. Like, I mean, that's how big Binance is. So it was really challenging, I would say. So that was another. So we thought, okay, we overcame this challenge, but then we were met with market demand or market conditions that made it very challenging. But I'm proud to say that, that you know, Unocoin has not only continued to be in business, but we've probably 10x our market share in the last in the last six months. And we're winning back a lot of the market share that we had mm-hmm. lost uh, because of the lack of uh, kind of mega fundraising. And so Unocoin, yeah. we've only raised about, I think, $7 million in our almost 10 years of existence. But then some of our competitors have been around for one, two years. And like I said, they've collectively raised 600, 700 million. So, so we do have plans to, you know, gear up for another fundraise and all that. But, uh, but yeah, so those are the two challenges we faced, I would say in recent years, what the future holds. I don't know if I had to maybe pick one challenge, it might, let's say the the WEF, like the world economic forum, the CBDCs that are coming. I think a lot of people are excited about them, but as a Bitcoiner, we see a lot of problems, challenges, you could say with that. And, uh, and so I think that's going to be the next big frontier for the fight. Thank you. Thank you, Sunny, for sharing that particular example. I think uh, the pride shows in your voice, but also like a very calm and grounded confidence 
uh, as you said, right, you were encouraged, you were empowered, but that shows in that, like that story that you shared about David versus Goliath and how you came out on the other side. Uh, so huge risk, but it also like made you stronger in that process. At least that is what I'm hearing for you. And then that prepares you for like maybe future challenges. And I talk to a lot of our customers. I do one-on-one calls with them and, and the number of times our customers have referred to us as like the Tata of the Indian Bitcoin ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It really warms my heart and makes me feel like we're doing the right things. And at Unicoin, we don't always optimize for how do we make the most amount of money as fast as possible. We take things like compliance seriously, banking and regulatory affairs and all that stuff seriously, not because we want to, but because we believe you have to. Like if, if you want to live in this world, you have to take those in. If you have to, you know, you we knew very early on that you'd have to deal with law enforcement. If someone did something bad on your platform, you have to be able to work with them to some extent. And if yeah. you can't, they'll put you out of business. Yeah. So little this things is like a, that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So something very interesting, right? Uh, with like we are talking about money, we are talking about technology. Yeah. We're talking about regulation, court cases. Uh, but you shared, right? You have never raised like huge money, but you have been in operations and you have that, you have built up that credibility or trust. What role has like real, sincere human relationships played in uh, in your success in your business, uh, even though what you're doing is maybe in, in animate, right? It's all technology and all of that. But I think in any business, any leadership position, relationship play a huge role. Can you add a little bit to that? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, like the heart of our business and even the story I tell always goes back to our meetups, right? And the reason I share that, and, you know, we do meetups to this day. We had a, like 150 people in our office the last time I was in India a month ago. And so, yeah, for us, it's about the community. Like the, the idea for Unocoin came out of us being face-to-face, eye-to-eye, belly-to-belly with other people that would express, hey, look, uh, yeah, I love this Bitcoin thing. Where do I buy it? And then some other guy would be like, oh, I have a bag full of cash. I want to buy some Bitcoin. And you start seeing these things and you'd be like, okay, so there's definitely interest, but this doesn't seem like the right way to do it. And so, yeah, so I think the community has been a big part of it. And like I said, at Unocoin, we not only do community events, but we also, we just like talk to our customers. We, you know, even like now I spend a lot of my time, Satsik spends a lot of his time just doing one-on-ones with our best customers and And it's so important because at the end of the day, we're building for humans. Like, yes, it's technology and but we're building for humans. And it's amazing. Like your customers, they tell you everything you need to know. Like if you're not doing a good job, oh, your rates are too high or, oh, you need to add more assets. Oh, why don't you offer margin trading, this, that. And like everyone just gives you these ideas. And so it's nice to validate, you know, I'm not saying we just because the customer asks for something, we jump and do it, but we try and see their reasoning. And like our app, for example, some people find it a bit hard to use because we've been around for a long time. We make a lot of, I guess, kind of assumptions. But I think in the next couple of weeks, we're releasing like light feature, right? Where it'll be just like designed. You'll just click a button and it'll just strip it of all the complexities and we mm-hmm. just like click and buy Bitcoin. So we're yeah. those are things that, you know, we've arrived at because we realized that, you know, our some of our customers, uh, they were struggling with it. So I do believe big time in, in connecting with people and talking to them and not just sitting behind a computer and programming and hoping that you'll hit the mark. But uh, it's like a, it's like an iterative process, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sunny, for sharing all of that. And I think at least what I'm listening to is like that trust that you have built with the community and you continue to invest in that. And maybe that is the biggest currency or that is the biggest uh, like resource that you have. Uh, and uh, 
uh, that kind of leads to success as an entrepreneur, success as a business, uh, which leads to money. But I think uh, like trust, uh, I think given where we started with like money, what is money? And then uh, relationships and trust, I think that like intangible, but yet uh, something very real. And I think it's uh, evident in how you have created your company and your success in the last 10 years is that it continues to pay, like even financially, but uh, even in many other ways. Thank you for sharing that, right? And just to wrap it up, right? Anybody who's listening, who wants to reach out or like just keep a tab on what you are up to, what is the best way for them to do so? I mean, so, so the Unocoin website, if they want to uh, check that out, that's unocoin.com. On a personal note, I also maintain a personal website. It's sunnyray.com. My email is contact at sunnyray.com. So if anyone wants to reach me directly, they can do so. Yeah, I'd say those. And then obviously I love, I'm addicted to Twitter. I, spend, I mean, I think a lot of people do nowadays, but Sunny Ray Show is my handle there. I also have a I also have about 120 or so episodes that I've done. It's uh, for a podcast on YouTube called Bitcoin Stories. And I've interviewed a lot of the people that I think are the movers and shakers in the space around the world. So people can check that out if they just don't want to talk to me, but want to hear me talk about Bitcoin stuff. Um, I really enjoy doing a lot of those. But yeah, SunnyRay.com. That's my personal home. Thank you. Thank you, Sunny, for sharing that. Once again, I will make sure to include some of these links with the show notes when the episode is out. And once again, before we end, I want to wish you best for everything that you are up to, everything that lies ahead for you. Uh, so have a good, uh, like a good future with all of that. And I wish you best. Thank you, Sumit. Thank you. It was a pleasure having you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.